Morris was an 82-year-old man, and he went to the doctor to uh, get a physical. A few days later, the doctor saw Morris walking down the street with a beautiful young woman on his arm. A couple of days after that, the doctor spoke to Morris, and he said, Hey, you know, you're really doing great, aren't you? And Morris replied, Well, just doing what you said, Doc. Get a hot mama and be cheerful. The doctor replied, I didn't say that. I said, you got a heart murmur. Be careful. (laughs) It's a a plug for Bob Lacoste and hearing aids. You need one. He he sells them. I get 10%, so. All right, now that I have your attention... This morning we're going to continue our study in the book of 1 John, and I've entitled the message, Do You Love God Really? Really. That's the important last word, really. Lord, I just thank you for humor. I thank you for the wonderful worship we've had. Just uh, marvelous, and I'm just so appreciative of our worship teams and our worship leaders. What an incredible blessing they truly are to us. And now, Lord, as we turn towards your word, It's a serious word this morning. And I know you're present, Holy Spirit, and you are so necessary if you're going to break through our hearts and our defense mechanisms and allow life in. So that's what I'm crying out for, Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. Fill me afresh from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. May you anoint my lips. And Lord, may at the end of this, There'd be much victory, much victory. So bring on the light and sweep away the darkness and have your way now. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. Up-to-date remake of The Prodigal Son. It's probably the title you have in your Bible. As I've said before, that's probably a lousy title. Much better title is The Perfect Father. And what makes the story so incredible is that you have a son who no longer wants a relationship with his father, but instead just wants his hand, what he has. And this father amazingly gives him his inheritance early. Can you imagine that? And he watches his son go over the hill. But you see, this father, this perfect father, the heavenly father, loves his son. Every day he's waiting for his son to return. And finally, one day, it says the son came to his senses, and his son began to return back to the home. And the father, as he's looking, he sees him cresting the hill. And he runs out to meet his son. It's the only time in the Bible that you see God actually running. Did you know that? The only time God can't help himself. You see, the Bible tells us that's how God feels about you and you and you and you and me. The Bible's crystal clear that God loves you. He loves me and he desires to have a relationship with us. But you know what the real question is this morning? The real question is this, do you love God? Do you love Jesus? You know, the Apostle John's going to ask us this question, that very question, but in a little way, different way, he phrases it differently. Tim, can you put up the verses, 1 John chapter 2 and verses 3 through 6? And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God or I know Jesus, but doesn't obey his commandments, that person is a liar and the truth is not 
and he's not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. Go back. And that we should live our lives just as Jesus did. Those are a powerful set of verses. And John asked us the first question this morning, do I know Jesus? Do I really know Jesus? You know, the Greek word for know is gnosko. And when it comes to knowing, see, there's knowing about someone, and then there is truly knowing someone. And there's a huge, huge difference. For example, many years ago, I had a relationship with a woman who was not my wife. Now, don't get too excited about it. It really wasn't much of a relationship at all. In fact, we only met every other week, and it was maybe for five minutes, ten minutes tops. You know, I'd pull up to the drive-thru at the bank, and I'd stop at the island, and I would receive this canister. And Alice, the bank teller, would say to me, hello, Reverend Ray, how are you doing today? And I would say, Alice, I'm doing great. How are you doing? And then she would go on and tell me about maybe how Timmy's doing in baseball and whatnot. And if she's giving me this important information, I'd be stuffing in my huge paycheck from BCC along with the deposit slip into the canister. And then I'd put it back in the machine and I'd push the red button. Swoosh! It was amazing how that worked. It was just like magic. That machine just sucked the canister from me and brought it to Alice. And then I'd hear all these ticking numbers. Tick, 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 tick. I guess she was hitting the computer keyboards. Minutes later, the canister would magically come back to me, and I would open up the canister, and there would be my deposit slip, and Alice would say to me, she'd say, now, Reverend Ray, is there anything else I can do for you? And I would say, well, Alice, do you think maybe that you could add a couple zeros to my bank account? (laughs) And Alice would kind of laugh, and she said, maybe you can get those cheap elders over at your church to give you more money. (laughs) No, she she, she didn't say that. That's that's not true. That's not true. In fact, I just want you to know we have a great set of elders. I, I, I mean that with all my heart. These guys are absolutely incredible. And I consider it a privilege to be able to work with them. But Alice would just actually laugh and she'll say, I'll see you in two weeks. Now, like I said, it wasn't much of a relationship. You wouldn't call that, I don't think, a deep relationship with someone. But if someone were to ask me, do you know Alice, the quite honest truth would be is, yes, I do know Alice. I know certain things about Alice. I know that she is married. I know that she has two boys. I know that she is a bank teller, and I also knew that she, at least at that time, was not a Christian, a follower of Jesus. You see, I knew some facts about Alice, but I didn't know her the way John's talking about there in 1 John in chapter 2. In verse 3, you see, John was talking about knowing God, knowing Jesus in the way that I know my wife, Susan. Now, I'm not talking sexually here. Actually, the Hebrew word for know is yada, and sometimes it can have a sexual meaning to it, a sexual connotation to it. But I want you to understand something. Do you realize that you can have sex with someone and not know them? Do you realize that? Do you understand that that you can have sex with a person and not know them? In fact, this generation is painfully finding that truth 
out. They're finding out firsthand that you can have sex with somebody, but you really don't know them. And in the end, you see, it leaves your soul empty, very empty. You see, biblically, to know someone means I know what kind of person that they are. For example, I know what motivates them. I know what they like and what they hate. I know where they stand on some issue or some topic. You see, when I say that I know Susan, what I'm telling you is I know what makes her tick. I know her heart. So if you say that you know Jesus, if you say that you know God, then what you're really saying is you understand him and you know what really pleases him. And John makes it crystal clear in verse 5, if we're not clear, as to what really, really pleases Jesus and God. It says this, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. You know, some years ago, there was a book entitled The Five Love Languages, and it was a bestseller. I mean, this probably was 10, 15 years ago. Anybody read the book, The Five Love Languages? Just raise them high. I mean, this book was a going and, and blowing thing. And the basic premise of the book was this. There are five basic love languages. In other words, there are five ways that we understand or that we receive love as human beings. For example... Way number one is words of affirmation. Wow, you look fabulous this morning. You did a good job. Thank you. And that's something, I mean, when, when certain people hear words like that, it's just like a whoopee cushion. You know, they, they just get blown up. I mean, it's amazing. It, it, it just does something to them. They really, really feel loved. Way number two is quality time. Now, quality time means just what it says. Quality. See, if you're sitting in front of the TV with your spouse popping bonbons, that's not quality time, okay? Quality time actually means that you're facing one another. Maybe you go out to a restaurant together and you do something surprising. You talk. Not looking at the cell phone, you actually talk. You, you interact. And for some people, that just, I'll tell you, puts them on cloud nine. Way number three, receiving gifts. You see, receiving a gift for certain people says, hey, he was really thinking about me. I matter to him, or she really cares about me. And I'll tell you, that just, just makes their day when they receive a gift. Way number four is acts of service. Some people just feel really loved when you do something for them that is meaningful to them. Maybe it's something as simple as just taking the garbage out. On the other hand, it might be something that requires a lot more effort and planning, like taking some time off, taking a trip and planning that trip out. Way number five is physical touch. I think we all know how important physical touch is. In fact, scientific evidence indicates that babies who are held, can you believe it, who are stroked or kissed, develop a healthier emotional life than those babies that are rarely, if ever, touched and receive physical touch. You know, quite honestly, ladies in the crowd, most men, their love language is physical touch. Did you know that? I bet you do. Talks about it, actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's not a minor point. There are a lot of men who are so empty 
because they've never really and don't experience physical touch. That's why the Bible says that as married couples, we're not to separate from one another physically except in the case of prayer. Did you know that? And so when a man especially feels intimacy and touch, he says, wow, my woman respects me. And I mean, he'll be floating on cloud nine for at least a week. But on the other hand, you show me a man who's not really receiving physical touch and intimacy, and I'll show you someone who's empty, very empty. Now, you know, I, I remember reading this book, and I go, wow, this is amazing. I'm all five. Bring on the love, Susan. Wow. I mean, really? I, I wanted all five of them. But you know, as I was thinking about that book, and I was thinking about what it says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5, you know, if we were to use today's lingo, what John is saying is that Jesus' love language is clearly obedience. So, you know, if a person says, you know, I know Jesus, I really love Jesus, but yet they do what they want to do. They kind of live life on their own terms. They run to their own drummer. Do you know what John is saying? It's not me. He says, then they are a liar, and the truth is not in them. He says that they are deceived. Deceived. John makes it crystal clear that if I say, if Frank Ray says, I know Jesus Christ, I love Jesus Christ, then I'm going to be obedient to his commandments. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, what are those commandments? You know, if you actually pull this book out, it's been a bestseller, by the way, year in and year out. I recommend it. You read the four Gospels. Someone's read the four Gospels. I've read them, but I've actually never taken the time to see how many commands are in the four Gospels. They say that there's 49, 49 of commands by Jesus. They, they range from things like repent of your sins, to rejoice, to be reconciled, to watch out, to be born again, to make disciples, to pray for your enemies, ouch, to do good to your enemies, and to look expectantly for his return. Those are just some of the commands of Jesus. So, you know, I'm a visual guy. I don't know about you. But I like to understand this, this no and this obedience and exactly how it fits together. So, you know, being a visual kind of guy, I actually came up with a chart. It's kind of crude, but it looks like this. So, so charting this thing out. Notice the horizontal line. Or, I mean, excuse me, the, yeah, the horizontal line. That's the knowledge line there. See, so you, you go from no knowledge to being a theologian. All right? Some of you might be thinking, wow, I'm, I'm doing pretty good there. I, I know the Bible pretty well, but not so fast. Because, see, you've got to overlay the obedience line. That's the vertical line from no obedience to total obedience. And, see, when you do that, you get four quadrants, okay? It's kind of interesting. So let's look at quadrant. Let's go lower left first. And lower left is a person who has not much knowledge, really, of Jesus or God. Doesn't care to either, by the way. And is not very obedient, therefore. 
we'll call this person Sarah spiritual. Do you know that according to Barna, this person here, now I was told yesterday I go a lot over here, so that's why I'm over here more this morning. But some of you will catch that. That's good. All right. Sarah's spiritual. So in other words, this is, this is a growing number in America, according to Barna. No, it's troubling to me as a pastor. You've got these people who are basically making up their own God. And it's really themselves. It's kind of sad. So little obedience, little knowledge, but they'll tell you, I'm spiritual. You ever heard a person say that? I'm a really spiritual person. What they're telling you is, is they're really not reading the Bible, and they're really not, therefore, being obedient. They're just running to their own drummer. Now, moving up, now I, I want you to figure out where you are in this thing. Now, moving up on the left-hand side top, you have Martha Morality or Matt Morality. Now, we're not talking about Matt Molossi here, all right? We're just talking about Matt Morality or Martha Morality. So I don't want you to put names in there or pick, you know, people that you might think will fit in here. Think about yourself. Now, this is a person who doesn't really care to read the Bible, but they're, they're obedient. And you know who fit in there really well for me was my father. Did you know my father grew up Southern Baptist? You know, he ended up being an executive in Honeywell, and I, we didn't go to church, and we talked about that once. But I asked him once, I said, Dad, have you ever read the Bible after, you know, I became a born-again Christian and I was going to cemetery, you know, I mean seminary, excuse me. Um, and I said, have you ever read this? And he goes, son, I read it once. Why do I need to read it again? He, he actually said that to me. And I said, well, Dad, I noticed on your bedstand that you have Atlas Shrugged. That was written by Anne Rand. By the way, if you're into capitalism, that's the capital. That's the businessman's Bible. It's over a thousand pages. I said, you read it 12 times. Explain that to me, Dad. But the interesting thing about my dad was he was a very moral guy. See, he grew up with morale. But it was the negative side. Remember, I, he, he, he knew the golden rule negatively. Do not do other, to others what you don't want done to yourself. I'm not murdering anybody's son. I'm not cheating. I'm not pilfering. He really saw himself as a good guy. But you know where my dad failed? He failed on the positive side. Do unto others as they would have you'd like done unto you. I remember my dad on the way up the corporate ladder. It's the only time I saw him almost crying. Because Honeywell was going through a rough time. And can you imagine he had to fire 50, 50 men who had families? 50 men who had families. Because, see, Honeywell needed to clean up their bottom line. That's rough. See, and maybe you see yourself as a pretty good guy because you're, you're moral. You don't hurt anybody. Moving on down to the right-hand side now, lower right, you see Ron Religious. Now, Ron Religious is an interesting guy because he has a lot of knowledge, but not much obedience, selective obedience. This is a big number in the American church. By the way, just put Pharisee there under Ron Religious. They knew this book backwards and forwards, but what was their problem? They weren't very obedient, were they? 
They were not very obedient. And we have a lot of American Christians who, you know, go to all kinds of conferences. They're reading this thing. And, and Francis Chan, not too long ago, did an incredible message. And he goes, have you ever seen American Christians? They're just like sumo wrestlers. They're obese. They're all, they're, more, more food, more food. And they're just, just taking in the word of God. But they're not doing anything with it. They're not obedient. See, these first three quadrants aren't great. But look at the fourth quadrant. The fourth quadrant is someone who not only has a lot of knowledge and desire to know Jesus more, to know God more, but they're also wanting to put into practice. See, that's the born-again believer. That's Barney born again. This is the guy this is the woman who not only wants to know Jesus through knowing his command, who's in small group because they want to be accountable. They want to be challenged to be obedient, to carry it out. This is the person who's growing. This is the person who really loves Jesus and loves God. So let me ask you, because we need to move on here, which quadrant do you find yourself really in? Which quadrant would you say that you are really in? John tells us this morning, if you really say, I know God, I know Jesus, I love him, then what he says is is that you'll know his commandments, you'll desire to know his commandments and to put them into practice. So let me challenge us this morning, all right? The challenge is found in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. You know what John's saying here? My walk, see, I I played sports. My walk, my actions need to match my talk. You know, in in, in football, we were great at trash talking. There were these guys who were just trash talkers, but they stunk when it came to playing the game. You're going, shut up, you know? You can't even play. And there's nothing worse than someone who talks a big game, but their walk isn't so great. So, you know, so often, number one reason why non-believers don't come to church, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. In other words, they hear us talk the game, but not the walk. They see it's all jesus on Sunday. We're all spiritual on Sunday, but what are we like Monday through Saturday? What are people seeing in my life, in your life? If we're Jesus-y on Sunday, are we Jesus-y on Monday through Saturday? See, that's a problem. John said, I am to live like Jesus. So here's a question. No, I had to really think about this, all right? The question is this. Here we are in the 21st century. You say that you're a believer, that you're a follower of Jesus, How do I walk like Jesus Monday through Saturday in the 21st century in America? How does that work? What would it look like? I don't know about you, but, you know, 10, 15 years ago, do you remember WWJD? Tim, you can put up the picture. You know, I got one on here. Not a fan. But remember when everybody had the bracelet on? What would Jesus do? Not a bad question, actually. It's, 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 it's not a horrible question. But you know what the problem with that question is? It's really not that practical. In other words, 
Is John saying to me that I need to leave my job, that I need to sell everything I have, that I need to give it to poor, and I should have a robe on, and I should walk around the countryside preaching sermons and casting out demons whenever appropriate? Is that what he's saying? See, I don't think he is. A much better question, now listen to this, a much better question is, what would Jesus do if he were me? What would Jesus do if he were Frank Ray or Jeff Eckstein or Matt Molossi or you? Let's say you're a truck driver, for example. Ask yourself, if Jesus were a truck driver, what kind of truck driver would he be? Would he obey the rules of the road? Would he keep his rig in safe condition? Would he stop to help other drivers who were alongside the road? Would he blow his horn when a kid goes like this? What do you think? Do you think he'd blow the horn? My money's on he would. I think he would. How about if Jesus were a middle manager? What kind of middle manager would he be? Would he talk behind his boss's back? Would he make unreasonable demands of the people in his department? Would he do just the bare minimum? Would he pat his expense account, rationalizing in his mind that he deserves it? What if Jesus were a parent? What kind of parent would Jesus be? You ever thought about that? What TV shows would Jesus let his kids watch? Books, video games, music. What would he do there? Hmm? How active would he be in his child's life, in their health, their homework, and their friends? How often would he read with them? How often would he pray with them? Every day, every night? Would he threaten them to throw them out of the car if they don't stop fighting in the back seat? What if Jesus were a high school student? What kind of high school student would Jesus be? How would he treat other kids? How about those kids on the fringe? Come on, you were in high school. How would he treat those kids on the fringe? Would he become their friends? How hard would he study? Which extracurricular activities might he participate in? Which parties would he go to? Which conversations maybe would he walk away from? I think you get the idea. I want you to think through your life just right now. Just for a second. We got, we, we, we got 10 seconds. Just think through your life. Just think through your day. Just, just seriously, take this question very seriously. How would Jesus live it if he were you? Because, see, I'm to live as Jesus lived. So are you. Lord, I pray we take this seriously. I think if we're all honest, sometimes we can be the greatest hindrance to people coming to Christ. Because when they see Frank Ray, they're supposed to see a little Jesus. When they look at you, they're supposed to see a little Jesus. What do they really see? I pray as we just sing this last song that we'll allow the Holy Spirit just to work in our hearts. Because Jesus said it would be better that a millstone be tied around my neck than cause someone to stumble.
and come into Noah. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known.